In the late 1980s, drug kingpin Pablo Escobar had a personal zoo filled with exotic animals, including some hippos. After his death, the hippos ran unmanaged and multiplied. There were four hippos and then they multiplied to about a hundred now. There's talk about them being killed. They're going to shoot them. But there's a woman out there whose life mission is to protect all animals, no matter what the cost. Oh my gosh, no, absolutely not. What can we do to help? Emma Clifford is a global animal issue problem solver. Among her many achievements, she's the founder and CEO of Animal Balance, an organization that helps communities all over the world find ways to reduce cruelty and suffering by implementing humane and sustainable animal management programs. Today, Emma joins me from her home in Oregon. Welcome, Emma. Thank you so much for having me, Laurie. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you for being on the show. So I want to get right uh, to the most pressing question for me. How in the world do you spay or neuter a hippo? (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually, what we're going to do is we're actually going to contracept them instead because obviously these are one of the largest animals, one of the most dangerous animals on the planet. And so it takes a lot to be able to spay or neuter a hippo. And at this point in time, we don't believe that it's the most humane option. And so Animal Balance always looks at all the different ways and all the different solutions that are available. Zoom in on the one that makes the most sense. And for this, it's actually a contraceptive called PZP. And so we're gonna contracept the hippos because it's easier to do that and it's effectual. It sounds like a must, much easier process to me as well. <laughs> exactly. Right now we're looking for needles that will go through the um, skin of a hippo. So it's really kind of stretching our imagination and stretching our you know, talents and experiences to come up, to bring all these people together to try to figure out how do we do this and how do we do it safely for the hippos and the people that are involved. I was reading about what you do, and it said that um, Pablo Escobar, the drug czar, you know, had some sort of a zoo back in the 80s. And when he went to jail, uh, most of the animals were, you know, gathered up and put into zoos across the world, I suppose. But they left for hippos. And so tell me about how you got involved in this, because these hippos were breeding and Um, you know, they're invasive species, if you will, into Colombia. And how in the world did you even get wind of this, number one? And what inspired you to try to go help these hippos in Colombia? Okay, it does seem a bit bizarre, doesn't it? But it it actually isn't that far removed (laughs) from what our mission is, which is to protect all species and to use humane methods to do that. So I'm in the Galapagos Islands. I'm on San Cristobal Island. We're doing a pop-up spay, neuter, and vaccine clinic. And I brought in a veterinarian, Dr. Isla Nowden, from Colombia because she does similar work in Colombia. And she just wanted to compare how we do our spay, neuter campaigns to how she does them. We immediately became very close friends. And then she says to me, do you know about the hippos in, in my country? And I'm like, no, I didn't know you had any hippos. And so she's telling me the story of, of Pablo Escobar and what had happened. And that, that there were four hippos and then they multiplied to 20 and then there was 40, about 100 or so now. And so she said to me, they want to, there's, there's talk about them being killed. And I said, how on earth would one kill a hippo? And she said, they're going to shoot them. And I said, oh my gosh, no, that's terrible. Hand hunts, blood sports, no, absolutely not. What can we do to help? And she was like, well, I want to, set some a program up and I kind of want to do it the animal balance way where you work with the community and you embrace what the community wants and then you also take into consideration what's happening in the ecosystems so Dr. Isa 
wants to do this project. We're creating this plan for a birth control program for the hippos. And we've got permission from the government now to do it. So I read that you grew up in the UK, but after graduating from the University of Central England, you relocated to the United States. Uh, What brought you here? What brought you to America? I was actually doing a sociology degree in Birmingham and the third, it was a four-year degree program and the third year we were invited to utilize our skill sets and what we were learning and go pretty much anywhere we wanted to go and I wanted to go out to um, the United States and I wanted to um, experience another culture. And what brought you to starting your work with the animals? Well, like you say, I grew up in the UK and I was very fortunate because my parents rescued every everybody, every species that needed rescuing. And I thought that everybody's parents did that. And I didn't realize until later on that, no, it was just us that had the chickens and the ducks and everybody that my dad brought home. And so um, so that was my childhood. It was playing with chickens and making, they were, they were being rescued from the battery cages, you know, the small cages. So that was something that my parents always promoted with us to be um, compassionate and kind and respectful to, to all species and so that was kind of inside me and then when I moved to the United States I kind of had already been involved in animal rights work in the UK um, anti-fox hunting we call it um, saboteuring the fox hunt so it's very much involved in that um, when I was at university and actually my dad is a policeman and so um, I got into a little bit of trouble sometimes because <laughs> he would be patrolling and preventing people from going on the farmer's land and you know I would be protesting against the fox hunting so it was a interesting dynamics isn't it of, of what is right and what is wrong my first job was working for in defense of animals which is an animal rights group what a great first job and i have to giggle too because i have two boys and um you know they've grown up i mean from day one in this you know industry with me and they just recently you know when they started going over and staying at friend's house or you know visiting they're like not everybody lives like us. I was like, yeah, not everybody lives like us. That's for sure, you know, and, and they embrace it as well. So it, it's, it is, it's, if you, you know, don't realize that the rest of the world's not like you, then you don't know any difference. So I love that, that your parents did that. So what was your first job within Defense of Animals? What were you doing there? I was basically um, managing the office uh, and I was learning how to run an uh, NGO. I knew that it would be very difficult for me being a little headstrong to work for somebody else. And so (laughs) I was learning how to run a nonprofit with a view later on to start my own nonprofit. So tell me about how you got to the SPCA and, and how you got involved with cats and why cats and not dogs. So when I was working in defense of animals, I've been there about three years, and I, I felt that I'd learned um, the most, of, most of the infrastructure and how to run a nonprofit. But I wanted to help animals locally, and I used to ride my bike through Golden Gate Park every day to get to in defense of animals. And of course, all I saw all of these beautiful cats around, and they were all being fed by these amazing humans. And I knew I could be a voice for the animals um, locally if, if that opportunity arose. And so the San Francisco SPCA um, were just starting their um, community cat program, and um, I joined them in the late 90s. And then the San Francisco SPCA is on the same block as the animal control. And so we made a relationship with them, and they allowed me to come in and pick out, take out all of the cats that had tipped ears. And that means that cats have been trapped, taken to animal control, but they'd actually already been fixed because they had the tip. 
So that meant someone was feeding them and somebody was taking care of them. So I was allowed to take those cats out. I was one of the first people to be allowed in, in the United States to be able to go into an animal control and take out animals um, that didn't have owners. And so, of course, you built those relationships and then everybody wants to be able to help at the end of the day. It's just you need to find ways to have that happen and that's all building those relationships to begin with. And then they let me take out the cats that didn't have the tips. And then I could put them through the feral fix program that we had at the SPCA and get them back out to the areas. It was like a, a comprehensive program rather than just a single part of it. It was um, identifying that one person might want to do dry, to the transport, one person might want to do the recovery. Not one person had to do it all. So that really, really helped with the community. Um, and then they asked me to speak um, at uh, City Hall and represent the San Francisco SPCA um, at City Hall as well, which I did for a number of years on all animals, which was great. It's such a challenge to me to go into an area where there was not buy-in and then, you know, have them ultimately embrace a program. So, you know, that's so proud of you for doing it that way. And it's just such a smart way of, uh, you know, being successful for the animals. Um, but, but then I read that you heard that they were uh, poisoning um, dogs and cats on the Galapagos Islands. I mean, tell me about that journey. Well, after um, I had worked at the San Francisco SPCA for a number of years, I decided that I then wanted to learn about international programs. And so I joined Wild Aid, which is an international wildlife conservation organization who are amazing. My boss came back and told me that they were poisoning the cats and dogs on the Galapagos Islands. I was like, why aren't they sterilizing? That doesn't make any sense at all. He said, I don't know. So get in touch with the park and find out. So I started writing to the Galapagos National Park Service. And that was in 2002, 2003, and nobody wrote back. It took a whole year for me to get an answer. And finally they said, yes, okay, you can bring a team in and you can start on Isabella Island, which is as far remote as you could possibly imagine. Um, and it's the Galapagos, which is also remote. So they said, if it doesn't work, it doesn't matter, but at least um, you can give it a try. Well, at that time, the fisher folk didn't want to give up um, spinning and collecting sea cucumbers because they were worth like $400, $500 each. It was you know, very lucrative business for them. But you've got the international community saying, hey, everybody on the Galapagos who lives there, it's a privilege to live there. You must not, um, you know, your fishing quotas are going to be reduced. Your, who you can fish for is going to be reduced. And so that created like um, local unrest. And so people started burning tires in the streets and they actually burnt down the the house that the park director lived on, on um, Isabella Island. So it was a big deal. So they needed um, a peaceful project that would appease the community. And so they picked our project and they said, yes, you can come in and you can spay and neuter the cats and dogs. Just give it a try. And so we did. And the local people loved it. We're here on beautiful Isabella Island in the Galapagos. It's the first place actually where Animal Balance started. We formed a partnership with the local municipality and they were mandated to control the um, non-native species here on the Galapagos Islands. So we worked with them to stop the lethal methods that were being employed and switch them over to humane methods by bringing in veterinary teams and providing free spay and neuter, giving out collars and leashes to everybody, providing dog training, humane education. So it had gone from a situation of free roaming cats and dogs to this, where the animals are back in the homes, they're being cared for, people are getting veterinary care. So were these feral dogs and cats or were they owned or just a mixture of both? 
they're a community um, animals, so it's a different sense of living, different way of living. So people have their doors open because it's nice and warm most okay. of the time. And so the dogs and cats are going in and out just like the people are. We gave out collars and leashes to everyone that got their animals fixed. And we also did dog training classes, which was super popular with everybody in the community. And people came and they brought food and <laughs> music as well. And it turned into a community event. And all of that was so important, even though it was fun and on the surface it just seemed like a you know, small little community event. It really had a massive impact because that gave people a way to take care of their animals. The Galapagos is obviously everything is very close and the animals don't flee um, because they've never had predators. The iguanas will come out of the ocean kind of around one or two o'clock and they'll come along the beach and they'll across the beach and they'll go to their favorite pile of rocks. Well, as they're coming across the beach like that, the dogs see them, don't they? And so they run after them and one bite will kill one. And so by providing collars and leashes and doing dog training classes and spaying and neutering and providing flea and tick treatments, the dynamics between the cats and the dogs and the people, particularly the dogs, the people changed and they slowly started to bring the dogs into the homes and they put a rice sack in the corner and the dog would you know, lay down on the rice sack and be fed inside. And so those dynamics over, I would say just a couple of years really, um, changed. It was incredible to see and witness. i just so proud of the work you're doing there. And it's so wonderful to see change happen in your lifetime, right? You know, you some people work and work and work in this work and it takes so long to see, you know, systemic change. But for you to be able to see that, you know, in, your, in the short time that you were there, it just has to be an amazing feeling. So um, I also read that, you know, you've worked everywhere from Indiana to Hawaii, the Bahamas, Galapagos, America, Samoa, and Cuba, and, you know, Trinidad. I mean, it just goes on and on. So tell me some of the most memorable things you've learned from animals and people in those faraway places. Thank you. Well, that's a beautiful question. It's hard to single out one place. It really, really is, because I've been so, you know, I'm so, you know, feel so fortunate and grateful that I've met so many different people in so many different cultures. And um, I think probably Samoa pops out in my mind um, in terms of like impact. We were on independent Samoa. There's American Samoa and independent Samoa and we were on both, but on this particular story, we were on independent Samoa. And the way that it's set up, there's one road that goes all around the edge of this beautiful island, like incredible island in the South um, Seas. and beautiful um, forests on the inside that you can't really get to. There's no driving in, you have to hike in and then just one road around. And then every sort of 15 minutes or so, if you're driving, there's another village and each village is um, managed by um, and controlled by a tribal chief. You still have to get um, tribal the tribal chief to approve and they speak a different language and it's not one that I can speak, that's for sure. We had to have a traditional ceremony with the chief. So we all sit in the circle and there's about 25 people and it's really important to put your feet forward because um, that's the most respectful thing to do. So we're sitting there and the, the chief doesn't direct the questions to me because I'm a woman. He, t he addresses the question to the oldest person in the group who's a, as a gentleman and a veterinarian a little hard of hearing actually and so he kept asking him the questions and so he would go to me and ask me what the answer would be and I would tell him and then he would go back to the chief because that's just how it was and as it turned out there had been a mix-up in communication and they thought we were there to sterilize their pigs 
And he said through the interpreter that um, he was very, very happy that we've come from so far away, but really they love their pigs and really they did need more pigs because they eat the pigs and need the pigs as part of the society. I'm like, pigs? <laughs> So we all start laughing. I said, no, 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 no. The dogs, we're here to sterilize the dogs. And then, of course, that, that, that jumped through the cultures and it was just hysterical and everybody was laughing. And from then on, we became all became very close and everybody was helping. So it was through humor, um, through these little misunderstandings that happen around the world and just through the respect of, of listening to each other and saying, huh, no, actually, we're here to help you fix the dogs. <laughs> oh, thank goodness. I think those kinds of things are really, they're funny, but they're super um, they, they tell a lot, don't they? Because they, they had still led us into the village to, to help. It's amazing. Um, do, do you use social media to get your word out? How, how, is the, how can people find out how to help you? Or what's the biggest way that they can you know, get involved in, in your mission? So we're at Animal Balance, which is www.animalbalance.org. We also have a Facebook page. And we're also on Instagram. And there's a form you can fill in if you'd like to join us on any of our campaigns or get involved. Thank you so much for being with us. It's just such an honor. And I can't wait to meet you in person and continue some of this amazing work that you're doing. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for this opportunity to talk about the animals. And thank you so much for everything that you do there, Laurie. For more information about the Animal Passion series and host Lori Hood, visit aliquad.org. And don't forget to check out the Animal Passion Podcast YouTube channel. Thanks for listening.